Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Leave it all behind. Rewrite the story. Change the lines. What if we took the time to get to know a person? Not just the first impression, but their story. I'm Shani Payton, and I am bringing you along as I learn that I am not alone in this journey of life, and neither are you. Join me every week as I hear courageous stories of inspiring individuals determined to leave an impact on this world. I speak with many who have suffered through challenges I myself have been through such as living in a cult, infertility, foster care, adoption, and mental health illness. I have experienced firsthand how the stories of others have impacted me in my journey of healing. My goal is for you to feel that you are not alone in your struggles. Let's heal together, and you know I'll be bringing some fun along the way. Now let's dive in to some emotional, scary, humorous, and heroic stories. Thanks for coming along as I continue to grow. Welcome to the Shanty Pants Show. This is the moment, it's time to turn the page. Hey guys, welcome back. I am so excited to bring you the rest of Verity's story this week. If you did not hear last week's episode, episode number nine, you may want to go back and listen to that so that you can get caught up on Verity's story. She was born into the Children of God cult, and we are continuing her story today. So there is a trigger warning with the story. There is talk of physical, sexual, and mental abuse. So be warned ahead of time about that. And we are going to just go ahead and get started and get right back from where we left off last week. I think the impacts of it cannot be overstated enough. Mm. Well, and from someone on the outside, I've heard that so many times that the mental and psychological abuse is a lot harder to overcome. And I feel like I endured some of that, but not the physical abuse or the sexual abuse. So I never would want to say that just because I haven't experienced both. So to me, that's just, I don't feel like I, I can say that. But hearing it from someone like you, it's very interesting because you have experienced both and you firsthand have experienced, again, not to downplay any of the other abuse, but how the mental abuse is so hard. And and to me, it makes sense in the fact that like when you look at sexual or physical abuse, there's mental abuse that goes hand in hand with that. So it's not just that sexual abuse. You're also being mentally abused at the same time. Oh, absolutely, 100%. I just think it's important to note it as a separate thing as well because I think there's Mm. so many survivors that almost don't feel like they can say something because in Mm -hmm. their thoughts they've just had that one thing. I think it's really important to note that there's no just about it. It's easily as bad as any of the other forms of abuse. And if you have been in a situation where you've suffered from that, then... Do you have as much right to their trauma and their journey to healing as anyone else? Right. I know. And I love that you point that out because I know I feel like even my mental abuse is a whole different level than 
many of you, many of you that were in that cult, but I was that way for a really long time where I'm like, I really haven't been abused. Like I'm fine. And just in denial, but this kind of wreck inside my body, like there's something going on here, but you know, I was, I was never abused, you know, and, and you put it off. Like there's every, there's so many people that have it so much worse and I would love to help them and support them because I should be fine. Nothing bad happened to me and realizing that, everyone's levels of course are going to be different, but it's where all of our feelings are validated. You know, we all have our own forms of abuse or trauma and we can't just avoid them because someone else has it worse. It's not comparable at all. And it shouldn't, you shouldn't try to compare it. Yeah. If I only kind of rounded people with the same level or worse of trauma with me, I'd be. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I can't imagine the Saturday nights, but no, serious. <laughs> outside yeah. of that, outside of that, outside of that, I think it's something I've said to a few people that's and the way I think of it in my head is that there's always going to be somebody who's had it worse than you, no matter how bad their story is. True. Mm-hmm. There is always going to be somebody who's had it worse, and there's always going to be somebody who's had it better. Mm. And when it comes right down to it, it doesn't actually make a single bit of difference to your experience and how it impacted you. And you shouldn't be letting it. You mm. shouldn't be thinking, oh, I don't deserve my trauma because somebody else had it worse. Or you shouldn't be thinking, oh, well, I deserve the pity because somebody had it better. Right. Neither of these things work. Right. It's 100% about what's happened to you, how it's impacted you, and how you, how you move forward with your journey mm. to recover from it. And comparing it to someone else's story doesn't help anyone. Yep. I agree. And I think it's so awesome to see you and others like you that are helping others who have survived situations, you know, or trauma in different ways, because there's so much value, I think, with someone like you that you've had that experience of the, you know, intense trauma, but also kind of, like you said, even so still, you're you're figuring things out and learning things about yourself. But you've, been healing and you're also sharing that knowledge that you've learned during your healing process with others. And I just think that's so valuable that you're doing that and speaking out. And actually that is one question I had is how do you feel like speaking out has helped you in your healing move forward and talking about it, even just like on a podcast like this? I think I was really scared to speak out before the first time I did it. I spent so long and I think one of the biggest fears was this constant niggling voice at the back of my head that said, A, people wouldn't believe me, or B, if they did believe me, they would just tell me to stop going on about it. It wasn't that bad. Mm. <laughs> or that effect. Or C, you know, it's like I'd end up with all this like backlash and everything from it because and I'd be destroying so many people's lives without really mm. benefiting anyone. But over time, um, and when I first spoke out, actually, it was just after my dad was convicted and I had to sit in the courtroom and hear a defence team wax lyrical about what an idyllic childhood I'd apparently had and what an amazing parent he was. And it wasn't a mm. childhood recognised. But because he'd pled guilty as part of a plea deal, nobody got the chance to say anything against it. There was no oh, hold on, that's not true. I didn't get to say my piece. And I was really emotional in that mm. room because it hadn't occurred to me that when he pled guilty, I would had this massive relief I wouldn't have to go through cross-examination. It hadn't occurred to me that I'd then just have to hear their side of the story and not be able mm. to say it back. And that was actually the first time I did any media and it was a newspaper article for the Sunday Post in 2018 and I was really nervous about doing it and I was really nervous about the impact socially and with family and friends however when I did it I must say um, the feedback I've had from community family and friends at least those that I count has been extremely positive and I felt empowered and I don't think I realized until I did start speaking quite how much I'd been carrying the shame and stigma of mm. everything that had happened to me. And I'd been carrying the responsibility and I was so busy trying to protect everyone else. It didn't occur to me that actually staying silent was never the best thing for me. Actually, the person that would help by speaking up, 
is me and that's okay it was okay mm. to do something for me and I did feel empowered and it did make me feel better and don't get me wrong I do get emotional obviously mm -hmm. sometimes talking about it I'm human and I think I always will get emotional when I talk about these things however overall the empowerment factor is way way higher than any emotional triggers I think it's important to make sure you've got someone who can help you out with any of the responsibilities for the next bit and have a safe space they can unwind after like you've done their interview or after you've had your talk mm -hmm. but I think talking yes when I found my voice that it was the biggest single step to recovery I think mm. I've ever made it really did make a positive difference for me that is that's awesome and I've I've heard others say that and I feel that way for myself which is part of the reason I'm doing this podcast it's giving a platform for people to speak out and then also sharing these stories with other people, because I think there's so many different groups, whether it's a religious group or even as just a high control family or coercive family that, you know, need to hear these stories. They need to hear that they're not alone. And um, so I just love, and I love that you came to share your story with us. And just to be clear too, when this happened with your dad, to the, for the audience, he was one of your abusers and your first abuser, correct? He was yeah. my first abuser and yeah. my earliest um, sexual abuse and physical mm -hmm. memories both involved him. Yeah. And um, he, just to, just to be clear, he didn't actually go as far as penetration with me, mm. which does not make what he did okay. Right. But he was my first abuser and um, when he got convicted, I was one of the people that made, made that happen. Mm. And what, when he was convicted, were you satisfied with um, what happened with that whole thing? Um, I think for me, it was, I was very conflicted because mm. when I was starting making statements to the police, I was making them about multiple people. And for all that my dad did abuse me, he wasn't my worst abuser. And I was kind of hoping maybe naively that my worst abuser would be the one that I'd be getting up in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. My boogie man hasn't seen a courtroom yet, and I hope one day that will change. <sighs> However, it's extremely difficult to get a case to court in historic cases. Um, when you're talking historic crimes, it's very difficult to get the additional levels of evidence required. And what makes it more difficult is because we were basically trafficked as mm. we were children all over the world in some cases, um, my worst abuser has abused others, but he's abused them in different jurisdictions. Some of them have mm. limitations issues and it's not necessarily being in the same country. And all these things do affect how possible it is to get people's court. However, mm. so when, when my dad got in court, it was sort of a mixed, I was very conflicted because, as I said, he wasn't my worst abuser. And it seemed like I'd gone to a lot of work mm. and I'd gone through a lot of trauma and talked a lot of times and done a lot of things only to get, you know, the person that was at the bottom of my bad guys. Right. Because it wasn't just that, but in, in my entire childhood, for all that he was my first abuser and he did abuse me sexually and physically, he was also the only person who ever said he loved me or gave me a cuddle, mm. ever. Mm. And that does leave you with conflicted feelings. Mm -hmm. as, no matter how old you are, there's still a little bit of you that feels like, you want a parent mm. and my mother and me never bonded and the closest thing to affection I'd ever got was from him wow. having said that um, it was also I found it afterwards the first conviction against an adult from the cult within the UK and I was quite proud that that first step had been taken because it sort of opened the door mm -hmm. I think for the potential of other cases going right. forward and I've not given up hope of the other people in my statements making it to court because if more survivors start speaking up I don't necessarily have enough myself to get them mm. there but if we all speak it just takes one other survivor that happens to have crossed paths in the right jurisdiction and together we've got a case mm -hmm. uh, this could still happen but right. and if it doesn't at least I've done my best to get a predator off the streets right right and and you, that happened to you actually, right? With another survivor, you helped her kind of bring something to court, right? So you were a part of that as well. 
absolutely i was a part of that case i was not one of the main complainants and when it went to court um there were none of my charges were included in the final charge sheet mm. however my supporting statements did help me get that case to court along with some other survivor supporting statements and this is exactly the point that i'm making yeah if one person you can have almost enough evidence and still not quite make it to a courtroom and but if enough of us work together if enough of us speak and it might not be and you might think oh well there's no point in making my statement because it's not going to make a court case and i was actually told by the police not to bother making the statement because it wasn't enough to make a court case and a lot of the ones wow and it's not the point the point is i, I sat and does that i need to make it and you need to listen and you need to take it down and as it turns out part of that statement was a was able to be used to help someone else get their court case to court and the same could go for others it mm -hmm. might not be enough to be a case in its own right but if they get it on record it might be enough working with other statements to get this acknowledged and that's worth a shot right right it's definitely not if they don't make the statements it's never worth it. Yeah, it's never going to have that shot where at least and that's that's what I loved seeing with you is that, yeah, it wasn't as you like you said, you didn't end up really being involved with it necessarily. But it was your statement that really allowed them. It was like a location thing. They were looking to uh, place a location is what I remember it. And without your statement, they would have never. I mean, maybe I would, they would have eventually. I wouldn't have said never at the end of the yeah. day a very strong case before I ever came along um, however it's all these any little bit additional statements can make the difference to right. that skills and getting it as far as a courtroom because there's so much such a high level of evidence needed in a historic case like this oh I bet supporting evidence can be the difference between sink and swim so mm. I mean one of the main reasons I'm doing all of this is I really want to encourage survivors to make their statements even if the police tell you it's a waste of time Get them to take it down anyway, because honestly, if enough of us speak, if enough of us have those statements there, then they can't ignore us forever. Something mm. could happen right. as a result of us all speaking together. Right. And I, I yeah, I, and I think that's, again, the many of you that are doing it keep doing it because eventually it's going to make their, you know, you guys saying this exact thing is going to make it to someone that hasn't heard it yet that will hopefully, you know, do exactly what you're saying. And, you know, there's this cult is still in existence under a different name now. Um, what is it? The Family International. Family International now, yes. And so, like, do you, do you know of people that are still in it that you know personally or that um, you did know? I don't know of people that are still actively in it that I knew personally. But as I said, I didn't. It was a long time ago that I left. Yeah. Right. However, I do know people that have left recently. I know people that oh, have good. left still in there. I mm. know that it is still going strong. And they claim that they have rebranded as an online community and like they're harmless now. And they're totally whitewashing their image. Mm -hmm. But then if you look at their website and you look into the about thing, they also happily and proudly claim roots back to 1968, still declare David Berg as an amazing leader and prophet. Oh. And in charge is still Karen Zarby, who we knew in the cult as Mama Maria, who is and was an active paedophile. Mm. Um, she is not innocent in this, and they can't try to simultaneously whitewash their image and still condone the behavior and have these people in an exalted role because right. these people promoted and printed publications and literature actively condoning encouraging and even giving how-to guides for abusive mm -hmm. children on a worldwide scale they are responsible for so much harm and they have never acknowledged that they were wrong and if an abuser isn't going to acknowledge that actions are wrong then how do they know they're not going to abuse again because the apologies that have been handed out are along the lines of oh, you know, some misguided individuals who misinterpreted statements. It is absolute nonsense. If you look at the publications that are out there, because they are all out there, if you look at the xfamily.org website, you can see a whole host of the publications they made. There was not room for misinterpretations. It right. was institutionalized. And if they're going to convince me that they have changed, then they have to acknowledge 
what they've changed from. They are right. to acknowledge that it was wrong and take ownership of the harm they caused. And they have not done that. Well, it just, it blows my mind that like the publications that are out there, like you said, you can actually look on the website and see some of these. It is, it's basically child pornography, a lot of the publications. And this went, like you said, worldwide, they would send these, correct? Mm-hmm. And, and they would encourage the children, everyone was to read these. I would get upset about um, being assaulted or being raped and I would confide in a reader or my mum and I would be punished. I'd Mm. be given reading projects, I'd be given videos to watch of girls my age acting seductively, I'd be given books telling me that it was natural for girls my age to give themselves and be, you know, like this for the men, it was natural for these men and boys to do what they were doing and I was the one being given the reading projects. I was the one being given the materials. And I was the one that was being told that I needed to learn to be more Christian and give them what they needed. I don't see how they can turn around and say it was a couple of individuals that were misinterpreting the teachings. But that was my experience. And that was my experience right through to when I escaped in early 95. Oh, my gosh thing that they said where they said it all changed in the 80s Mm. somewhere I only heard that when the court cases were going on that was the first I'd heard of that growing up in the cult nobody ever told me that the things that were happening to me were wrong and a lot of people knew about them from the looks of it it doesn't seem like it was only happening to you and obviously if they're sending these publications worldwide and you know obviously there's others that's happened to as well so for them to just not even acknowledge that. I do remember there was a few times where they said, okay, so we're going to pretend that we don't do it anymore and it's wrong, but that's just because the system doesn't understand we're protecting ourselves from persecution. We know it's actually okay. And no point did they ever say, actually, this is bad. It's wrong, yeah. Not oh, bad. Gosh. And then, so back to the, to about the publications, they also were creating their own videos and like you had said there was very limited videos you were able to watch but they would create at one of the the cults um compounds actual videos that they would send across to all of you who you know weren't there and were you required to watch these was it suggested how did that work um to be honest it was actually probably more entertaining than the rest of our daily trudgery so we would almost True. look forward to it oh i bet yeah <laughs> video came out i mean like let's see we can scrub doors with a toothbrush we can change a dozen nappies we can go pound the pavements for eight hours or we can watch a couple of hours of video you know what you're a kid (laughs) of course of course and it's and even you just look at some of the videos because in the in the documentary there are definitely clips of it throughout and they kind of you know allude to parts of it but amazing like that they cannot acknowledge how wrong that was again basically you've got child pornography going on there with little children and then you're sending it across the world to all of these people those weren't the only videos they produced a lot of them were just you know more designed to like make money and appeal to the outside world Mm -hmm. and dancing and little things some of them were actually almost fun but (laughs) I say fun because comparatively, we didn't have a lot to compare it to. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. In a lot of them, it looked like we're like propaganda, where they're just like shoving in your face how scary the outside world is and how lucky you have it type thing. Oh, it's like, yeah, it wasn't just, you know, like the scary, it's like silly things. Like, um, if you want to giggle sometime, look it up on YouTube. Did Charlie make a monkey out of you? It's this music video they did. And it was actually, you know, done as a schoolroom lesson because they didn't believe in evolution. And it's like, just honestly, they have to see it to believe it. Um, I think people watch it on YouTube and they think, oh, that's hilarious. What they don't realize is that was an actual educational video for us. (laughs) To give you an example of the sort of propaganda levels. Um, But just honestly, they they will have a laugh if they have looked that one up on YouTube. I've shown a bunch of people and they can't be it when I tell them it was an educational Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Crazy. And it wasn't just things like that, but they were extremely homophobic. They were Mm. quite, they were like quite anti a lot of things. I mean, honestly, 
it was some horrific homophobic content and I think when I first left the cult at 15 I had to probably spend more time unlearning mm. the things that I had been taught I had to spend more time doing that than I did learning new things I wow. mean they even painted Hitler as being you know doing God's job mm. <laughs> like, Gosh, honestly yeah like the the insane levels of how they twisted things on every level was absolutely crazy that is so crazy now were you a part of um when i know that it happened in several different areas where the government raided some of the facilities and would take the kids the children away were you involved with any of those i was never personally involved in okay i just secretly hope i would be i bet (laughs) oh my gosh having said that having said that uh Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, if I had actually been involved in a raid, even though I secretly wanted to be taken away and was kind of looking forward to being offered sugary sweets and games to play, mm. Well, yes. I'm kind of looking forward to that bit of it. Um, even though um, that bit of it was something that I'd like, I probably would have lied and told the party line mm. because I don't think I can say enough how much it was ingrained and it wouldn't have been for me. I wanted <sighs> to, I'd already tried killing myself a few times. I'm running away from home a couple of times before mm. I was like, before I was 15, I couldn't see anything worse than where I was, but I was more scared for the consequences to my siblings mm. and around me. And the pressure of being responsible for horrible stuff happening to them would mm. have been enough to make me toe the party line and lie the way I'd been taught to lie. They used to spend hours getting us to rehearse the perfect smile, the perfect thing, and we'd go through this and this of questions and suitable answers and how to smile, when to smile, what to say, what not to say. And we were well rehearsed. Wow. And were you trained too, even though it never happened with your family, were you trained kind of what to do, what to do if a raid happened in your home or the facility wherever uh, you were? We even used to have flea drills. Okay. Because <sighs> We'd each have our little flea bag, which had our personal Bible, a change of clothes, some emergency rations, like basic bits and pieces in it. And then each of the adults in the home would be assigned a different security thing to get. Like one adult would maybe get all the publications that under no cost should fall into enemy hands because they wouldn't understand it. Oh. <laughs> um, another adult would have to get like the financials, another adult would get the passports, etc. Whatever, you know, it's like oh. adults assigned to different bigger bits and then each of the kids would have their own personal flea bag and they'd do like rehearsals and they'd go, wake up, wake up, wake up and they'd have to evacuate an entire home of like 40 people in like oh, minutes. and we, we were able to do it We, when I say we were raised in a military style, we were raised mm. as, as end time army and we were well rehearsed for any such eventuality that's so, oh it's just like so crazy that all like that you <laughs> It's just amazing. And now with your family, you had um, two sis, three sisters, two sisters. I I have, well, I had six sisters and three sisters. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, passed away from cop death. So six Mm. brothers and two sisters surviving. When you finally escaped or left. No. What, what, like, can you explain how that kind of went? What made you be like, I'm out of here? I mean, obviously you were rebellious and you were kind of pushing the limits on things, but what was it that you finally left? 
I'm the final reason I left. The absolute thing was sheer and utter desperation. Mm. I, by the time I did get out, I'd already been to a Rotten Apple teen training camp. I'd already tried to commit suicide a bunch of times. I'd already tried running away a couple of times. I wanted to die. Mm. And I heard nothing about the outside world, but it was full of abusers and nasty people that were going to, you know, fill me full of drugs or I'm going to end up on the streets and all the rest of it. But it, it, it got to the point for my in my own head that it didn't matter anymore because if mm. I stayed another week or month within that cult, I'd be dead anyway. Mm. So if the worst case scenario was death, then bring it on. At least I'd have a chance of something better. Mm. I needed to get out. It was nothing else but sheer desperation that prompted me. Mm. There wasn't and... some big moment of truth. I mm. actually did believe the outside world would be a vile, horrible place and I'd probably end up on the streets and all the rest of it, but it was still better than where I was. Oh my gosh. So did you just up and leave? Were you terrified? <laughs> you just like, I'm out of here. So, so I'm a very, um, I, I tend to be quite methodical in how I do things. It's okay. like, figured that out from when I was saying I was buying the albums and I was eavesdropping conversations and taking it a step. I'm, the way I deal with things and the way I get through life, I'm quite a methodical person, right? Mm. So, And I'd looked around me and I'd seen other people trying to leave and I saw some people were put through like intensive are you sure programs for lack of a better way of putting it mm. and they would often come back like shadows of them former self and just reading the scriptures and I didn't know if I would be able to cope with that treatment. Uh. Um, I also didn't think I could last that long for the months and years it took to get out that way. Mm. So I figured that the best way to get out quickly from what I could see is if they wanted you out. If you're getting kicked out, you're there pretty goddamn fast. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> They're like, get out of here. <gasps> and so I decided, and it, was, it wasn't it was much of a plan. I never claimed to be that brilliant, but my plan was very simple. It was do the opposite of what they wanted you to do until they pissed them off enough to get them to kick you out. <laughs> And so I had this stash of contraband items, and I think I had some lemon hubba bubba chewing gum. I had a cigarette I'd found in a park when I was out fundraising. I had a bit of jewellery, a bit of makeup. These were all contraband oh items. Oh my gosh! I had, I think, a Guns and Roses tape or something. <laughs> I didn't even have a, I didn't even have a tape cassette there to play it on. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I had um, just silly little like that. And I had some money that I'd been sort of siphoning mm. off of my fundraising. I didn't see it as stealing because I was the one getting the funds in. I was just right. taking bits and hiding it in my socks or my underwear until I got in and smuggled it somewhere else. And so I separated my stash into two. I had one stash I actually wanted to keep. And I had another stash I wasn't that bothered about. And I made friends with this girl who I knew grasped on everybody. Every comrade had one of them. And um, she, shockingly enough, grasped on me. And um, in devotions the next day, they did this thing they always do where they try to say, oh, well, there's been this thing happening. Is anyone going to confess? To try to get someone to confess. So, opposite of what they wanted, didn't confess. And then they eventually got frustrated. They kept on dropping hints. Is that, are you sure? There's a, no, no, don't know what you're talking about. So then they confronted me with it directly because they knew it was me because I'd been totally oh. And then, so then they there, so I think they need to be repentant now. I was like, nope, not repentant. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thought that was, oh, well, she must have demons in her, possessing her to be this rebellious oh. and like this outspoken because normally I wasn't that outspoken. And so they started doing an exorcism and they've got everyone around doing desperate prayers, throwing hands in the air, shabada, 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 speaking in tongues. And oh my gosh. Like there's like different people having prophecies, some people whacking me with stuff. And it's just like, and I just, I started laughing. <laughs> I absolutely started laughing. And if you can picture this, you know, a high religious <sighs> movement, all intense in the moment, speaking in prayers with this cackling ginger teenager in the middle, you can oh. imagine it doesn't make it seem any less like I'm demon possessed. And the <sighs> more, so they're getting more and more desperate with their exorcism. And the more desperate they're getting, the more I am laughing. I am cracking up. I am crying oh. after. Verity. Oh. <laughs> And I got sent up to the room and my mum came up to sort me out and she went to hit me with her left hand. I was just said, no, held her hand. 
before, no, before my mum got sent up, this other adult got sent up, and this is actually quite funny. Um, and this adult got sent up to punish me, and he wanted me to drop my trousers, drop my bottoms, so that he could belt me, because that was a very common punishment. And I realised actually I was pretty much as tall as him. I just said no, uh. and actually ended up chasing me around the room trying to get <laughs> my bottoms and belt me. And at one point, I even managed to get the belt off him, and I was like ripping him back as I was. Oh him. my. Uh, Gosh. And that's when my mum got, he was so angry. Oh. <laughs> and then that's when my mum got sent up. And then she went to hit me with one hand and I held it. And then so she went to hit me with the other. And honestly, to this day, I have no memory of what happened between then and when I came to and my mum was on the floor and I was straddling her and I was hitting her and I was screaming, I need to get out, send me to live with my dad, send me away, I need to get out. And mm. just literally hysterically screaming. And I think. Looking back, I think I may have had a mental breakdown at that mm. moment in time, but I have absolutely no recollection of how I got from one to the other. And I was out within the next day or so. I was wow. out And I hadn't really thought about what happened next, so it was scary. Mm. But it was still better than staying where I was. Absolutely. Well, that that is awesome that it was as planned out as it was. Like, that is crazy that you knew, like, this probably will work. And that's just so brave of you. At 15, I can't imagine making, like, a decision like that. Bravery. It was desperation. Yeah. Was every step of the way, just doing the opposite. I didn't plan any, any oh, of those steps. God. It just happened that way. Oh, that is so bizarre. Now... When you now, you know, obviously you're out now and everything. Did you have any publications or anything that you took with you when you left that you have? I mean, you were 15, so I doubt you really thought about that. Would they have let you? Um, I probably could have smuggled some out if I'd wanted to. Okay. Uh, and part of me wishes that I had. Yeah. I was and being able to lose that against mm-hmm, them. However, mm-hmm. I know certain people were able to like get a lot of information that has been used as evidence against them however at the time i wanted nothing to do with them or anything i took nothing right i had no interest on having any reminders of of my life to that date oh my gosh yeah i i've i could imagine i wouldn't think of that either at 15 but (laughs) um one question i actually was just thinking of as well was you say you went to your dad's so had he already left at that point my dad was excommunicated in 1990, oh. and um, as the abuse did continue up until he left from him, and it continued from others after he left as well. Okay. But in 1990, he was excommunicated, and it was around um, the beginning of 1990 that my youngest sister died of caught death when she was only mm. very, very young. And um, my dad apparently felt that that was a punishment from God and decided to confess to everything, wanting to come clean. And I didn't find this out until the court cases, but he apparently wrote a full and detailed confession, not only of his abuse against me, but of his abuse against multiple other people. Mm. I did not know this existed until the court case. And the and he was uh, the leadership got together with my mom and this confession, and they decided that they would make the confession disappear, and make a deal with my dad that he would be excommunicated, and they wouldn't hand the confession into anyone or take it any further, and he also wouldn't, you know, like win any publicity and wouldn't say anything himself, and he was there to get on with his life now. The cult has said that the excommunicated members they found guilty of abuse, but I just want to make a couple of points here. My dad wasn't the only one abusing me. He was the only one they chose to excommunicate. I find it, I feel like it's far more likely it was the fact that he was willing to go public mm. with making the confession that made him a liability. And secondly, if they were genuinely trying to do the right thing and remove paedophiles from the organisation, if they had a black and white written confession in his own hand, what they should have done if they actually cared about protecting vulnerable children from a predator was hand that into the authorities rather than just let him go on and potentially be a risk to others in the outside. Right. They right. didn't do either of those things, so right. I don't buy their no. line about the excommunication. Right. But Absolutely. he was Okay. Wow. And so did your parents' relationship end when he was excommunicated? It did, but okay. because I was underage when I left the cult, I had to be sent to live with a relative of some sort, and none of my other relatives knew me because obviously uh, very limited contact. Of and course. So, and for me, 
even though he had been one of my abusers and I didn't have exactly particularly fond memories of him in my head, it was going to be easier to get away from one than uh, a good community. Of and course. So I did insist on being sent to live with him. And I did live with him for a short period, but I was still very conflicted and aggressive mm. and moved out within a few months. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, what a story you have. I cannot thank you enough for sharing this with us. I really, really hope that this gets into the ears of some other survivors of children of God out there that are willing to step up and speak out um, and kind of add their stories to yours and others that have already done so. Because like you said, it's all these little pieces that eventually are going to get some of these predators prosecuted and um, I just, oh, I just hope that that happens because it is, it's absolutely terrifying that, like you said, Karen's still out there and she's a part of this for how many decades and is still out there living her life. Living a life of Riley of money that she made off the backs of basic mm. traffic children. Yeah. And still has the ability. And what's most scary is there's so many higher leadership within this cult. Mm and child abusers who are now working with vulnerable people and schools and children in foreign countries and they're allowed to because they're claiming 20 years of missionary experience in the field and whitewashing their entire history and mm. as I said before, if a predator doesn't admit that what they did was abuse and that it was wrong there is no way of telling they won't do it again because right. if they don't believe that their abuse was abuse then there's nothing stopping them Right. Continuing with that behavior. They're going to keep doing it. Oh, uh, that's so terrifying. Society and they should be taken off the streets. At right. the very least, they should have their history known about so that people can take that into account when deciding what positions to hire them for at the very, very least. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like you said, it's so hard going. Um, what did you call it when it's an older case, like history? Um, when it's a historic. Abuse historic. Case. Yes, it's so much harder to well. <sighs> and as I said, there's also the very big issue of the jurisdictional issues, the cross border. Right. I can't tell you the amount of times as a kid I was hidden under blankets or jackets to cross the border, so no one knew I was crossing it. It was <sighs> like people, and I didn't go that far afield, but I know many people that did. They moved right. so often. Mm. Most of the homes that I lived in, I didn't know their dresses. In fact, some of them, I used to get blindfolded and drove around in circles for a cup for an hour before we went in, just to make absolutely sure I couldn't tell anyone where it was. <laughs> it's like crazy levels of security, and it makes it really hard to prosecute it at the yeah. time. It is possible. And right. We've proven that. We've had two cases in the UK, and yeah. I hope that they are a start rather than yeah. And it does. It proves it's it's really never too late. Like that's a long time later that you went to the police and you still made something happen. And as you know, like you said, there's one other as well. But so it's possible. It's it's not. Don't give up. You know, a lot of countries with statutes of limitations do prevent it. But it, what's not prevented in those countries is still having their basic knowledge, meaning that these leaders that are going out into the outside world that committed these crimes, even if they can't get them up in a courtroom, what they can do is let their future employers know exactly what their history is because that's thing that should, and that's one of the goals that me and others are working towards. Mm -hmm. um, I'm part of a group, the COG TFI Survivors. It's on Facebook and various social media. Mm. and um, we are very much trying to campaign to raise awareness and to get our voices heard there's a petition on the page pinned to the top to try to get our case acknowledged and looked into on a larger worldwide scale mm. and it has happened for other organisations yeah. other organisations have had an exception made and had a worldwide investigation done into it and we are fighting to get acknowledged for that as well because Ugh. even if we can't get these people up in courtrooms the very least we want them to acknowledge what they've done, take ownership of their crimes and be taken away from the position where they can harm others. Yes. And like you said that, you know, they may never get convicted, but if they can not be in a position where they're, you know, around children or whatever it might be to where they're not harming others, 
that's huge. And that would be, I, I imagine, amazing, fulfilling for you guys. It would. Ugh. It would be it'd be a step towards closure. And I, I don't know. I think the word closure is a difficult one. It means yeah. different, different people. And I don't think it will ever be closed for me. But there are steps towards closure. And mm. I, for one, the first time I had went to the police and they believed me when they sent my statement, mm. that was a massive, massive thing. Just the acknowledgement it happened mm. and it wasn't that bad is a massive thing. My arrest abuser hasn't made it to a courtroom yet, but the acknowledgement by the police officer that, wow, that was messed up. Right. Want to do something about that. Even if it didn't happen, that acknowledgement was like, such an overwhelming moment for me and it itself was worth making the statements about him even if he never sees a courtroom Good. Uh, i think that's what we want on a wider scale we want, yes. we want to hold their hands up stop whitewashing their image admit what they did was that bad and mm. give give some closure to the survivors yes it was never our fault uh, and no carrying all the shame and stigma of not talking about it while they're running around living their lives and pretending they've just had 20 years in the mission field. That is not right. the real picture. Gosh, <laughs> no. And two, even for other survivors that are out there that might hear this or see your you know, documentary and things, maybe even if they've never gotten the help that they've needed, whether it's therapy or whatever they're needing, maybe this could even prompt them to do that and at least get some help for themselves I like people like yourself. I cannot recommend getting help enough. Mm -hmm. I started seeing a rape crisis counselor when I started making statements, and I don't think I knew how much I needed that support until I started having it. Mm -hmm. It is, it, it can feel like it puts you through the rainer. And uh, what I will say is, I went through a few counselors that didn't work for me before I found one that did. Mm -hmm. Don't give up if the first counselor isn't a fit. Yes. It's a bit of a specialist area sometimes coming from these high controlled situations. Yes. Find one you're comfortable speaking with. Hopefully somebody with maybe has a background in this sort of thing because they are out there. And honestly, it's worth it. If you find the right counselor there, it will make worlds of difference. I can't yes. recommend it enough. Good. And and nowadays with everything being virtual that it's, you know, possible with so many people. There is, you can find specialists and that's, I think, so neat nowadays that we can do this kind of like you and I are talking here in different countries and we get to have this conversation, but, um, I will put a link to a resource page of, um, a friend of mine, I already did a podcast with her who got out of a cult and she has an amazing resource page. And if you have one, we can put that in the notes as well, but of just all different, all different things to reach out if you are just getting out of a situation like this, or if you've been out for decades, kind of a resource for great books and links and things to kind of get you started in the right direction. It's so valuable. 100%, definitely. Um, if you're doing something like that, um, if you put a link to something called the Safe Passage Foundation, mm, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a charity that I've donated to quite a lot in the past. It's um, set up by ex-cult members. And it's helping people that have come from coercive high control environments, not just from our cult, but from that sort of situation. Mm -hmm. And that is a resource worth being aware of as well. If you're in Perfect. That they are a really good charity. And if you're up for putting a link to the COG TFI survivors, as, yes. as I said, that's something I'm quite actively involved in. There's a petition on that for bringing Karen Zarby to justice. If anyone is interested in helping us in our endeavours, if they're up for signing that petition and sharing it on, by all means, read it first and only if they agree with the content. But it's worth having a read through, worth having a look, and I'd be grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, and we'll put all that in the show notes because we do want people, that's part of the purpose of having this podcast, is I want to support you. And, you know, I, I know a lot of my listeners love supporting the people that, that I have on here and support. So do you have any other um, Instagram accounts or anything that you would want people to follow besides uh, the TFI? Me personally, um, the COG TFI Survivors page, it's we're on Instagram, Tumblr, Reddit, Facebook, and Twitter. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Well, we'll be sure and put all of that in the show notes and I am, again, I'm just so thankful that you took the time to do this. I, I just feel like this is going to be such a benefit for so many people. And again, I hope that it can 
reach the ears that it needs to reach. And it's, I'm just so thankful that you decided to do this. I really enjoyed being here and I've, our chat's been really good. And I, I don't feel shaky like I do after some interviews. Oh, I'm, yay. It's actually gone quite well. Good. I do. Oh my gosh, I want to hug you so bad. Oh, thank you guys so much for being along on Verity's journey. I am so thankful that she decided to share her story with us. Please check out the show notes. So there is links there to all of the resources that she shared with us, as well as social media. So you can follow along in her journey as it continues. And I just appreciate you all for being here. And I can't wait to chat at you again next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of the Shanty Pants Show. I really appreciate your support, so please leave me a review and some stars and share my show with all of your friends, because I'm sure they will want to hear it as well. And if you just can't wait for next week and you need to know what I'm up to in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Official Shanty Pants and on YouTube and Facebook at Shanty Pants. See you next week. This is the moment. It's time to turn the page. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.